Hello, Refuge Church, and welcome to Sunday School. We're going to continue to be talking about contending for the faith. And before we go any further, of course, let's just start with prayer together and ask the Lord to help us to receive from his word today. God, thank you for allowing us to be together this way. I thank you, Lord, for modern technology that allows us even in strange times to be connected and to hear your word. And I pray today that our ears would be open to hear your word, Lord God. Let my mouth speak your words, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your word that changes us, that heals us, that helps and encourages and strengthens us. Pray, Lord God, that we would dive into it, that we would study to show ourselves approved to you, O God. We give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about striving for the faith. How to contend for the faith, we have to be willing to take a stand. Striving, that's working towards, that's, that is fighting, that is, that is uh, there's action happening when you say the word striving. And so as we're talking about that, there's got to be a willingness to take action for the faith that we have. So the early church in the book of Acts, it was a revival church, a growing church. I mean, when we first see the church born, they add there in one day 3,000. So it was a big church, and it had growing pains like any growing congregation, and probably more so than a lot of congregations because it was so new. Everybody was learning, and... Part of those growing pains was a need to appoint more ministers on staff. And a decision was made to appoint seven young ministers of good report to be a help with daily duties of the Christian congregation in Jerusalem. And one of those chosen to serve in this capacity was a young man named Stephen. Now, Stephen is listed first. And this may indicate that he was one of the leaders in this group. He was used in the gifts and great miracles were accomplished under his ministry. One thing we know for sure, he was powerful and anointed and he was fearless as a preacher. We see Acts chapter 7 as a sermon that indicates that he was well educated in the Old Testament. The combination of faith, knowledge, and boldness made him a convincing preacher of the gospel. It is truly a great sermon to read if you've not done that. He did not pull any punches in his preaching. He was not politically correct. He wasn't religiously correct. He told the Jews that their temple was just a building and God was much bigger than their building. He charged their fathers with killing the prophets who foretold of Christ's coming and they were co-conspirators in his death. And lastly, he declared that they had not kept the law. That was a very big deal in the atmosphere that Stephen was in as he was preaching there in Acts chapter 7. With that final indictment to the ones that were listening that they had not kept the law, they, they, they were so angry. They picked up stones to stone him. But as the stones were... Crashing down on him, young Stephen began calling out to God. And standing nearby was a man called Saul. He was brilliant. He had been trained at the best schools and by the best teachers. He was ambitious. He was focused. 
as a Roman citizen, Saul worked all the legal channels and gained permission from the local authorities to allow the mob to take Stephen's life. The Romans were tired of all the uprising and they wanted all the insurrection to stop as quickly as possible. So it was easy for Saul to convince them. Instead of recanting or begging for mercy, Stephen declares, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God in Acts chapter 7, verse 56. And this event not only ignited the church, but it also left an impact, certainly on the heart and mind of Saul. And little did he know at that point the plans that the Lord had for him that would transform his life very soon after this event. But looking at Stephen, Acts chapter 6 verse 3 lets us know that he was a man of a good report. He was well spoken of. He, he, people knew his life and they, they couldn't find bad things to say about him. About him. Um, and we, as Christians, need to be people of character before we can be people of faith. Now, um, I remember when we first moved to Rock Island, my husband and I, and um, the church started to kind of uh, gain in adult members. And a lot of the adults that we were meeting were um, were people in tough lifestyle situations, hard, you know, just, just, well, I mean, they were sinners, so they were bringing a lot of uh, sin to the table. And, you know, I think, it was very hard for me to understand that for some of them, something as simple as paying a bill on time, um, they'd never done that before. And um, it was, I, I remember being frustrated by it and my pastor telling me, you know, the truth is sometimes you have to um, help people become good citizens before they can become good saints. And that is so true. Um, you know, we we want to be people of faith, but what is our character? What is our character saying about us? What is what our actions, our daily actions? Do we have a good report when people talk about us? Because if not, then our testimony is it's just not there. Our witness. Then you have Elijah. When God instructed Elijah to choose a successor, the Bible says he passed by Elisha as he was plowing in a field. And when Elijah saw Elisha, Elijah threw his mantle over Elisha. Now, soon after, Elisha began following Elijah. In fact, Elisha became Elijah's servant and served the man of God faithfully. There was no promise of the supernatural. There was no promise that he would one day be promoted. For all Elisha knew, this was his calling. This was his destiny to serve as a servant, Elijah. And after many years of serving, it became clear that Elijah would not be around long. And as a chariot of fire swooped down to pick up Elijah, Elisha looked up, saw this great fire, and he didn't have long to think about what was happening because floating down from this ball of fire was Elijah's mantle. Now, this is the second time that Elijah's mantle has fallen on him. But this time it came from the hand of God. Now, the first time he received Elijah's mantle, it represented service. 
But the second time he, he received the mantle, it represented the supernatural. Elisha would have never received the mantle of the supernatural unless he had first been willing to take up the mantle of service. He never would have become who he was, the next Elijah, if he hadn't been willing to be Elijah's servant. Now, everybody wants that second mantle, that second experience. But nobody wants that first mantle of service. Everybody wants a word, but nobody wants to work. Everybody wants the fire, but nobody wants the fight. And everybody wants the supernatural, but nobody wants the sacrifice. The second mantle, it was, it was predicated. It was only going to happen based on his actions with the first. Now, the faith that carried Stephen through his sufferings was obtained through his willingness to serve. Striving for the faith is about serving in the kingdom and then watching God do his part in giving us the gifts we cannot give ourselves. If you think about it, what are some character traits that every Christian should have? Character. What, what does good character look like? Well, we know about Stephen that he was a man full of faith and contending for, fighting for, competing for the faith requires us, like Stephen, to be full of faith. Faith triggers the favor of God, but it is not something that we can do halfway. This description of Stephen lets us know his faith had taken deep root within him. He believed God. He believed God's word. He believed that truth was worth dying for. We know it because he did die for it. Now, if people only believe partially, it is just enough to get them in trouble. Look at Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They believed partially and they were killed. Or in Acts chapter 8, we see Simon the sorcerer who believes partially and is rebuked by Peter. Or King Agrippa in Acts 26, who believed partially, but not enough to make a decision. He was almost persuaded. But those who are full of faith, they will fight for their faith. It's part of their core values. It is their master passion. It's not something they use for their benefit or set aside when it is inconvenient. It is their testimony. It is their lifestyle. It is the heartbeat of every passion. And this is what God seeks for. It is rare and it is beautiful. Those willing to fight for the faith, those full of faith. And is it possible to believe, but not wholly believe? Well, we had a few examples that we talked about there throughout the book of Acts. Some people, Jesus said they believe, but won't confess it. It just won't, won't, it never transfers over into their lifestyle. In their mind, they know it's true but it never transfers over into how they live. That's what being full of the faith, full of faith looks like. It, it transfers over into everything you do. Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. So he was full of faith and he was full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. 
He was led by the spirit. He was filled with wisdom. His resume spoke volumes of the nature to which each of us should strive. When we operate in faith and the gifts of the spirit, we should do so with wisdom and understanding. Being led by the spirit is not a get out of jail free card for inappropriate behavior and inappropriate speech. The spirit won't lead us to embarrass people. It won't lead us to challenge spiritual authority. It's not an excuse for bad behavior. The Bible says after David exercised great faith to kill Goliath, the people of Israel noticed that he behaved himself wisely. Now, David won a major victory when Goliath was defeated, but eventually there was a bigger battle he had to fight. He became the target of King Saul's jealousy. He became well known in the land. However, with this notoriety, there was a price tag. Anointing also has a price. Blessing has a price. Because when God begins to use us, a target is painted on our back. And we may endure the onslaught of envy. David was anointed and therefore he was victorious. And he began to experience many victories on the battlefield. And because of his numerous military victories, he, he gained a following of people. People in and around the land noticed how well he carried himself and made decisions. And as David returned from another victory over the Philistines, Saul heard the women singing David's praises as his horse is parading him down the main street toward the palace. And they sing the song, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And this caused Saul to go into a rage. It reminded him of the favor God had placed on David's life and the favor that had been removed from his own life. And the Bible tells us that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and he had departed from Saul. Now the challenge for every believer who is full of faith and wisdom is the same challenge that David saw. And it's that the Lord would fight our battles. We must keep our spirit clean. We must not let another's anger drag us into a place of bitterness. Instead, we must take the high road. We must behave ourselves wisely. That showed throughout David's life. He, in his uh, early years, when Saul was seeking after his life, David He had opportunity to kill Saul and chose instead to let God go ahead and and have his plan. You see, David already, he knew God's promise. David knew that God's anointing was upon him. He knew that God had promised that he would one day be king. And David understood if God had promised it, it would come to pass. And David wasn't going to need to do anything. He definitely wasn't going to need to kill anyone to make that happen. We got to let God be God. We, we have to stop trying to be God in our own lives and in our children's lives and in our friends' lives. We, we've got to let God be God. Now, Stephen, he was full of power, and that power became his strength to help him stand for his faith in the face of severe adversity. He was full of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost brought the power of God in his life. 
and he was able to stand. And the power of God in our lives is directly proportional to the humility we demonstrate in our interactions with others. Neither Stephen nor David tried to retaliate. The injustice they suffered gave them power to win the bigger reward. The fullness of God in our lives allows us to see that there is a bigger picture. Sometimes we can't see the bigger picture. But God in our lives allows us to know there is a bigger picture. He can see the whole thing. And we respond accordingly. Now, taking a stand for our faith involves learning how to deal with unexpected setbacks. And we all know that that those happen. The story of the Apollo 13 mission demonstrated humanity's ability to overcome unexpected setbacks when they're determined and committed to a cause. Every Apollo mission up to that point had been about getting humans to the moon. However, after an unexpected explosion on Apollo 13, the mission suddenly became all about how to get three astronauts back to Earth safely. And we've all had unexpected setbacks or explosions in our lives. The resolve to get back to a place of safety is what drives us to dig deep within our soul through our faith and find the fortitude to overcome what we are facing. And we know that it's these adverse circumstances and the way that God is able to bring us out that increases our faith and increases our trust in him and make us stronger with him as our firm foundation. Now, recovery from unexpected setbacks, it requires a shift in our lives from survival to revival. The Old Testament character, Joseph, could have lived his life with bitterness. After he was forsaken and rejected by his family. But he chose to rise above the hurt and betrayal. He chose to view every disappointment in his life as the master plan of God. He never gave up, he never gave in, and he never would sacrifice his integrity. And when all was said and done, he could look at his brothers and say, what was meant, you meant it for evil, but God was using it for our good. God had a greater plan. Peter and John they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. They changed their perspectives from rejection to rejoicing. They found a way to see the value in being persecuted for the cause of Christ. A change in perspective gives us the strength to contend for the faith. The author of this lesson, David Meyer, shares the following antidote from his family. He says, sometimes my three children will kid me about doing something that is old and out of date. And I always say, thank you. They respond by saying, dad, we did not mean it as a compliment. And I can counter with, but I look at it as, a, as one. This drives them crazy. If we refuse to take an intended hurt as a hurt, no weapon formed against us can prosper. Somebody might be intending to hurt you with their words, which is one of the most hurtful things that people can throw at us. But it's about how we choose to receive that. Contending for the faith requires finishing strong. 
When Michael Braille and Pierre de Coubertin suggested the idea of the marathon race to the first 1896 Athens Olympic Organization Committee, the Greeks embraced the plan with eagerness. This, after all, was a race that emerged from the Greek history and celebrated the achievement of a Greek runner. Against great odds, the first 1896 Olympic marathon was won by a Greek, Spyridon Lewis. The nation of Greece exploded with joy since there was no gold medals for the 1896 Olympics, Spyridon Lewis was awarded with an olive branch, a silver medal and cup, as well as an antique Olympic face. Inspired by a sermon at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, Pierre de Coubertin wrote the following creed for the Olympics. The most important thing in the Olympic Games is not to win but to take part, just as the most important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. The essential thing is not to have conquered, but to have fought well. Paul was a strong contender for the faith because he kept his eyes on the finish line. He kept his eyes on that end of the race and not his placement or where he would finish, but that he was in the race. We've got to have the right perspective. We've got to keep our eyes on that finish line. At 7 p.m. on October 20th, 1968, a few thousand spectators remained in the Mexico City Olympic Stadium. It was cool and dark. The last of the exhausted marathon runners were being carried off to the first aid stations. More than an hour earlier, Mamo Wold of Ethiopia, looking as fresh as when he started the race, crossed the finish line, the winner of the 26-mile, 385-yard event. As the remaining spectators prepared to leave, those sitting near the marathon gates suddenly heard the sound of, the sirens, of sirens and police whistles and all eyes turned to the gate. A lone figure wearing the number 36 and the colors of Tanzania entered the stadium. His name was John Stephen Akwari. He was the last man to finish the marathon. He had fallen during the race and injured his knee and ankle. And then with his leg bloodied and bandaged, he grimaced with each step around the 400-meter track and the spectators rose and applauded him. After crossing the finish line, Akwari slowly walked off the field. Later, a reporter asked him the question on everyone's mind. Why did you continue the race after you were so badly injured? Akwari replied, My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. Losers focus on what they're going through, but winners focus on where they are going to. Finishers. That could say, those who don't finish focus on what they're going through, but those who do finish focus on where they are going to. Now, there is a great cloud of witnesses, and we've heard this scripture, these scriptures, and how Paul, he 
compared our life to a race, something that we could all understand. And that great cloud of witnesses. Contending for the faith is a ministry that puts us in good company. Witnesses, they're not just spectators. Witnesses are those who have gone before and taken a stand. We stand on the shoulders of giants who have contended for the faith. We honor them by standing strong in a culture that is hostile to God. There are so many things going on that make it sometimes hard for us to stand, to contend, to fight for the faith, to stand strong. And God honors those who strive for the faith by releasing supernatural power. The Bible contains countless stories of men and women who against all odds stood strong. They weren't given an easy path. The course they followed had many turns and obstacles, and yet in the midst of the struggle, their faith was fortified. It was strengthened. It was made stronger in the midst of struggle. They found joy in the journey. They found peace on the path they faithfully trod. The faith they strove for, it's not just confined to those biblical characters, but it is still the goal for us as modern day disciples. And we are blessed because when Paul was writing that, he had the history of, of those in the church before him and, and those Old Testament fathers that are written about. But us, we have the stories of the apostles and we have the stories of the early church and the disciples that were the the 3000 that were added and those that became leaders of the church. And not just that, but we have hundreds of years of history of people who gave their life for what they believed and, and, and for the, for the God that they loved and, and believed in. And we have, we have books filled with stories and filled with testimonies of people who gave everything they had for their faith, contending for the faith, living their faith. I always find those stories so encouraging and helpful to me. Often when I'm reading stories of people who are martyrs or people who have been through circumstances that have strengthened their faith, And it was good enough to write down a lot of times. I'm like, you know what? Um, Things are not going too bad for me. It always makes me thankful for the life I've been given. I want to share a story as we finish up today. It's a story about William Seymour. He was the oldest child in his large family. And he lived his early years in poverty. In 1896, the family's possessions were listed as one old bedstead, one old chair, and one old mattress. All his mother's personal property was valued at 55 cents. In Cincinnati, Ohio, after a near-fatal bout with smallpox, Seymour yielded to the call to ministry. The illness had left him blind in one eye and had scarred his face. And for the rest of his life, he wore a beard to hide the scars. Seymour arrived in Los Angeles in February 1906, moving into the home of Edward Lee, a janitor at a local bank. Bishop Seymour began ministry with a prayer group that had been meeting regularly at the home of Richard and Ruth Asbury at 214 North Bonnie Bray. As the group sought God for revival, their hunger intensified. Finally, on April 9th, 
Lee was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And when the news of his baptism was shared with the believers at Bonnie Bray, a powerful outpouring followed. Many received the Holy Spirit baptism as Pentecostal revival arrived on the West Coast. Quickly outgrowing the Asbury home, the faithful searched for a home for their new church, and they found their building at 312 Azusa Street. In that old broken building, Bishop Seymour led the group in seeking the face of God. News of the supernatural power of God spread rapidly among all nationalities, the prosperous and the poor immigrants and natives. For the next two years, waves of religious enthusiasm waxed and waned at Azusa Street, attracting visitors from across the nation and missionaries from across the globe. The heart of any man or woman who will take a stand and strive for the faith will be knit with the mighty hand of God. He's waiting to contend with us. He's waiting to strive with us. It won't be on our own. And our faith is, it's in him anyway. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own power. But it's in the power of the Lord. And how awesome that he would bless us with his spirit and empower us in a way that we could never be before. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the faith that you've given us. I thank you that you have blessed us so abundantly, and I pray that you would help us, help us to fight for the faith that we have. Help us, Lord God, to contend, to, to work and to strive, to be strengthened and encouraged, to share the gospel that we know with others, and to remember, oh God, those that have gone on before us. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, and we pray that each one of us would bring you glory in our character, in our daily lives, and in what we do for you in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.